Welcome to the Investing for Life podcast, where we apply proven investment principles to the lives of successful business people to help you enrich your own. With your host, Douglas Isles. Hello and welcome to the Investing for Life podcast. I'm Douglas Isles and my goal is to help you, the listener, by encouraging my guests to unpack their successes using a framework modeled on Platinum's time-tested investment principles. We will explore temporary setbacks that shaped our guests, we'll learn about the long-term steps they've taken to ensure they're on the right path, and we will hear how they stand out from the crowd. And today I'm delighted to be joined by my childhood friend, Robbie Robertson, who is a national lead partner at Deloitte Consulting. Robbie's passion is for design and customer experiences, and he specializes in the fusion of people, place, and digital. He also has a passion for diversity and inclusion and leads the Deloitte Globe Network and sits on the company's National DNI Council. Well, I want to start at the beginning. And while I knew you in high school, Robbie, I'd love it if you could start by sharing your memories of growing up in Scotland back in the 80s and 90s. Gosh, that was a while ago. Don't know if I can, th- I can think all the way back there, but uh, I'll give it a try. Uh, it's uh, nice to see you, Doug. Oh, yeah. Good to, uh, thank, good to have you on. And, uh, I, you know, the, there was a couple of key memories for me when I was back at high school um, that really kind of that really kind of set set apart from everything else that I remember. First, I had a really awesome childhood. You know, we uh, we were surrounded by really uh, empowering people who were just full of zest in life and loved to get involved in big conversations and uh, and and really kind of find the entre- entrepreneurial spirit, uh, which was, uh, I remember we did a, a whole kind of entrepreneur course, which we uh, we made candles and we made uh, t-shirts and various other things, which was really, really, really cool. But uh, what really stood out for me, I was uh, my kind of crappling with the fact that I was I was gay yes. and I uh, and really questioning going how am I going to be accepted by my friends my peers my family uh, and and try and be an authentic self but still lead a life that people want to be part of so that was a big part of my kind of later teenage years and it really influenced a lot of what I was doing. The second thing was I I, I got glandular fever uh, and uh, it absolutely stopped me in my tracks. I loved sport. I loved being out there and doing things, running around and, and really uh, engaging, living life to the full. And it absolutely stopped me from doing so uh, when I was 16, 17. So that's kind of two key things I would love to unpack with you yeah so the, the glands i mean you were you were a, a good athlete um from i think you could run 100 meters at the speed i would so say 200 meters the speed i would run 100 meters you're one of the fastest guys in the school so yeah the, the glandular fever is something and a lot of kids end up having to deal with that so well maybe unpick that one first that's probably the the easier of the topics so um derailed you uh, in in school, maybe to talk a little bit more. It, it really did. It's um, I, for anybody who's kind of gone through the uh, the illness. It's it it's it's like you're you're constantly exhausted, and uh, you know. I just remember getting up and walking to the the bus stop would take me. You know, it would take all the energy just to do that. Or I would go into class, and uh, you know, halfway through the class, I could feel my eyelids dropping because it wasn't because I was bored. I loved the subject. It was just I was absolutely mentally exhausted. 
And, you know, you, you mentioned there, I love a sport. Absolutely. I was, I was in the athletics team. I was in the sailing team. I wasn't so great at rugby, but I quite, <laughs> I still played it. I, I, but it, all of those were taken away from me. And, you know, when, when that is such a big part of your kind of personal brand is being part of those teams, um, being, uh, being able to have those conversations, be able to have those shared memories, uh, to have that removed from you really feels like you're, you're, you're half a person. And it, it absolutely sucked the life out of me and, and removed a lot of the confidence that being uh, a young teenage, Boy, uh, in the in the final years of high school, you know, we've got so much kind of confident exuberance and and energy, and and not having any of that really, absolutely, it killed me. And and you were um, boarding, so our school was predominantly day school, but you were one of the sort of small number of boarders. So so that in itself, you're away from home, you're dealing with this kind of thing almost without the same parental support. That must have been harder. It 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 really was. Um, yeah, it's. I was also trying to underplay it um, because I I wanted to be part of the team. I wanted to be part of the pack. I wanted to be part of the boarding house. And uh, to uh, I knew that uh, as as it was getting worse, they would have to I'd have to leave the boarding house, and that's what ended up have, happening. I ended up having to go and stay with my grandparents <laughs> and uh, uh, over the other side of town, and uh, that just because I couldn't. They couldn't look after me. I could. I couldn't be there. Couldn't be part of that normal life. So, uh, it was a really big um, uh, kind of moment where I had to kind of sit back and look at what was invaluable to me. What was um, what was I going to be the clearly what I was going to prioritize and focus on, and what did I have to give up? And for me, you know, my my friendships were valuable. Getting through my studies, uh, and I, so I was able to go to university was absolutely critical. That uh, all that investment of time I needed to just prioritize those two things, which meant that a lot of my sport uh, and my kind of social life had to be put to the side, which. I'm I'm a very social person. That really killed me. And you didn't make make the Olympics either. I so. didn't make the Olympics. No, <laughs> but you did have to. You know, we, we had you to stay a few times and and relieve you from uh, from the boarding house as well. But you were also, as you said, you were grappling with your sexuality at that time. So on one level, um, sort of lack of energy from the from the glands of fever. On the on the other side, a lot of internal torment, if you like, and a very traditional. Um, culture in Scotland, um, and in the sort of environment we were in, in the, in the sort of school that we were at as well. So maybe you'd like to sort of unpick that a little bit. Yeah, that was, you know, I, I, I really liked, um, a, being part of the, the the team, being part of the, I, we had a, a really uh, healthy and and close friendship group with um with four or five fr- guy friends, all doing a lot of kind of sport together too, and to 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 know that you are slightly different and a lot, so a lot of the conversations around uh, girlfriends etc. You know, I would I I would throw myself into those wholeheartedly, uh, but really felt there was something missing, and uh, and and I really had to question that. And it was actually that when, you know, the time, a lot of the time I was spending on my own or, or not being able to, um, because of glandular fever, not being able to go out, it did make me really f- front up and face into this and go, why am I different? What does that look like? What is, what is, what is the challenges that I need to face? And, and coming to the conclusion that, um, you know, that I, I was gay, but, 
I, I couldn't say it. I couldn't externalize it. Um, although I was slightly, I was becoming more acceptance internally yes. with it. Um, I didn't like that. I didn't accept it, that I wanted that this to be part of my personal persona or brand, and a, and and really fought it. Really did fight it for for a number of years, and and that just actually. Um, creates that level of distrust or people kind of started to go, well, hang on a minute. They're not, I'm not getting the whole truth. Something's, Robbie's holding back. Something's not quite right. And, and that then starts to erode friendships. It erodes the ability for people to take you at face value because you, because you're just always something niggling in the background. So that sense of authenticity is so important to be successful in life. But at the time, I was I was going. What is the worst? What's lesser of two evils? Me accepting and fronting up and facing and uh, and having conversation with my friends around being gay, or me pretending to not be gay and therefore putting up this big persona in front, but not realizing at the time how destructive that actually was. So it was a very confronting time, and I think, like as a very good friend, I think it was probably. I was probably 21 or 22 before we we had the conversation. I remember going to the pub with you and then straight afterwards going and sitting down with your mum and dad and having having um a drink with them and how easy it seemed at the time but not having any concept of oh, I guess what you'd gone through up to that point or perhaps what you would go through beyond that with with other people and and then going into the workplace. So so maybe um moving on from that sort of school origin to um to moving into the workplace and bringing that with you, how how was that journey for you? So you know, I, I made a, a a really conscious decision I, when I was in a university that I needed to be my authentic self. I needed to come out. I needed to allow people to see the real Robbie Robertson yeah. and to be proud of that. And and I to to go well if you don't like me for the whole of me. I'm, am I supposed to, am I supposed to be a friends with you anyway? And I, and once I started that conversation, having those conversations and that, and that ball, ball started rolling, it became more and more easier to do. So I get, I, get, I was getting more confidence as people were really on the whole, pretty success, pretty accepting. Um, I, I did, I had that kind of attitude going into my first job. I was uh, a, a really excited to, to share the knowledge, to share the, to, to that I was, that I was out. And, but it came front head in day one into meeting my line manager who on literally within 15 minutes of me meeting him made some anti homophobic slurs and I, and was really quite derogatory to the gay community. And but before I, you'd had the chance, before to, I'd had the chance yeah. to come out yeah. and I was like, Oh, this guy's got the power to, you know, to make or break my, my first job and yeah. my first career. Uh, and, and it was so disempowering. It was so, it, it was so hurtful to, to go. I was coming in ready to share my news that I was, that I, you know, that I was gay and I was, and I'm very happy and comfortable being so. And then instantly having to retreat back into the closet and go, this is, I've, I've got to make a conscious choice here. Do, do I, if I, if I say something, do I then face the wrath of my, of my manager? But if I don't, do I not live up to being my authentic self? And, 
I chose, I, I, you know, in hindsight, I think it's the wrong thing, but I chose to, to, to not come out. And a lot of the similar traits that I was experiencing before around being not being authentic, I, I, I played out again. And, a, and, and it wasn't really until about six months into my um, new job that I, it, everything was being affected by it. My relationships with my, with my peers, the quality of the work I was doing, because it takes a lot of energy to not be yourself. They always say it's harder to, it's, it's more effort to lie than to, than to tell the truth. hundred percent, hundred percent. And it was actually I, one night I was working late and my boss, not my line boss, but my big boss was there and he said, Robbie, you know, What's, what's up? You know, there's the person I interviewed and the person here today is not the same people. What's up? And I said, I explained that I said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm gay. And he said, is that it? Is that the only thing that's holding you back? And I explained around my line manager and the homophobic and, and I'm, I'm, I'm giving me a hard time. And he said, okay, I can, I can solve this. You know, this, I'm the, you know, go away, have a couple of days off. Yeah. And come back and we will find you, you'll find a very different working environment when you come back. And true to his word, I came back a couple of days later. Um, my line manager was no longer there. <laughs> um, <laughs> Easy I, to solve. I, but it was, it, there were, I, I, under, I found out later that he was not just um, being a homophobic. He was, he was actually doing a lot of other things as well. So it was the kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back in that regard. But I, I, what what I was able to do was then, uh, you know, come out to the rest of my colleagues. And it was just incredible. It was just like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. And within weeks, I had absolutely incredible friendships with my, with my peers, the quality of the, of my work exponentially increased. And I was just genuinely happy. So you I went was, back to being Robbie. Again. I went back yeah. to being Robbie again. And that just came through and everything that I did and every facet of my, of the interactions I had with, with my colleagues and my friends, I just was really excited about the future. And it again, underpinned a, a determination that I was never going to go back into the closet again, that I needed to, uh, I was needed to just be my absolute real and authentic self and, and whatever that to, to, to be there. Yes. That was the journey I had to take. And today, do you, do you, I mean, obviously you're very out and proud, if you like, but do you feel that there's still opposition today or, or challenges? Or do you think the world has moved on a long way from what well, that's 25 years ago? So um, I'm, the world has moved on and uh, and I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of the, the marriage equality debate. I'm very proud of the, the exceptional work that you see so many organizations really foster and, and lead from the front and around, uh, ensuring a, having a really, uh, um, safe space for LGBT, um, the LGBT community. Um, it's, it's not you know, we're not there. Like there's still a lot of work to be done. And certainly, you know, at Deloitte, uh, I'm leading the charge around a lot of those conversations around the trans community and, um, a, and, and looking at intersectionality with our, with our first indigenous first nations community or with our, um, our cultural heritage background. So, you know, 
we're all we all have different parts of it. I'm you know I'm I'm a gay man, but I'm also a dad. I'm a, I'm also you know a sportsman. I'm also you know I'm 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 I really love to do I love to cook and to and gardening. So we all love different components. It's about and it's about that intersectionality that makes us really interesting people and and makes us um, who we actually all are. So it's about to celebrate the differences, the uniquenesses of people, rather than focusing on one specific aspect of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you talked there, just you, you, you mentioned that you're a gay man and that you're a dad. Maybe that's an interesting place to go next. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there was, uh, so, you know, back in the, uh, when I was uh, kind of grappling with uh, coming out, I, the one thing I couldn't give up was I, an absolute desire to be a dad. And uh, as you know, back in Scotland in the nineties, there was not a lot of, uh, of, of, Gay couples with uh, with children through surrogacy or adoption, and so there was not a lot of role models to kind of look up to and go. One day I want to be like them, uh, but I, I think uh, you once told me you wanted to have a Volvo when you grew up as well. So <laughs> after I, you had your, uh, yeah, I gave I gave up the Volvo. I gave up. I mean, I moved, I, my my aspirations went a bit slightly higher after after a while. Um, but uh, you know, in terms of the uh, going on the journey, I didn't ever want to give up being a dad. And um, a lot of my my um, gay friends actually thought I was mad. They thought, no, why would you want to do that? And I'm like, well, actually, that's a really big passion for me. And I'm I'm going to stay the course. And it took me 15 years to uh, to become a dad and to go through the surrogacy process. And and I ended up having to travel to India uh, to for that to make that happen. And uh, and I now have a, a beautiful and uh, nearly 11 year old daughter Sophie uh, with my partner Jason. And uh, she absolutely uh, she she made me a better person. She has made me a better person. And 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 she's taught me so much about tolerance and acceptance and uh, and she just makes me laugh which I just I love so uh, I'm, I was you know if all the things in terms of putting a, uh, a you know a spear in the ground or a stake in the ground and going that's something that I was not willing to give up I'm really happy that I, I stayed the course with that one yeah so it's a, a per persevering with uh, probably the biggest biggest rewards of of anything 100 percent so, so you've talked a bit about this, the sort of setbacks and the challenges. One of the things that we uh, sort of cover on the podcast is this idea of change and the idea of opportunity comes in change. Um, you know, like myself, grew up in Scotland, ended ended up in Sydney. That pretty big, big change. Yeah. Uh, maybe we want to talk about, I guess, what prompted that and 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 what's been the, uh, I guess, the the ups and the downs along that along that journey. Yeah. Um. So you know. Moved to London after living after Edinburgh and I you know, really threw myself into the London, the London life and, and all of its virtues. I, and, but really was feeling that I, I was absolutely no work life balance. It was a, it was very much around. Uh, working, uh, I, I was working at a great, an amazing company called Imagination, doing some fantastic design work. I loved it, but because I, I, I would work 12, 13 hours, and then often in the night go out with my workmates and and colleagues, and so it was a you know end up being you know every four or five nights a week I was out there socialising, and I was like going oh hold, hold hang on a minute, um I'm you know, if I could continue in this trajectory I'll probably kill myself. <laughs> yes, so, you know how that one ends. Yeah. Yes, we know how that one ends. So it was, uh, it said, you know, 
what needs to be true to allow me to find a, a bit of a, a balance? And, and it wasn't coming to Australia. It was just a need to ch- start a new chapter and, a, and to remove myself from, um, from, from the day to day of what I'd built as, as part of that life in London. And for me, Australia just had this incredible qualities of the, you know, the best of the, uh, of America, the best of the UK with incredible weather and, and a really, laissez-faire, relaxed kind of attitude um, that I, that everyone was welcome. Yeah. And, and, and I just thought that what a great place to go for a year. And a year became two and two became four. And, and 17 years later, I'm still here. We can't get rid of you now. Can't get rid of me, no. <laughs> that's great. So it's been a, it's been a, it's been a good journey. Is that, would you say that's probably the, from a, from a change, that's probably been one of the biggest things. Uh, Absolutely. There was, um, you know, there's, there's probably those, there's kind of three key moments in the last you know, 20, 20 years. There was that, you know, that glandular fever moment I made a reference before around and, and making that strategic choice to just focus on what I needed to. Um, and then they, the, the next one was really going to London and, and saying, I need to be my authentic self and, and, and allowing me to that change of scenery going to London allowed me to be out and proud and, and, and to live that and, and to live the life that I, I, I was destined for, and then the third one really is that coming to coming to uh, Sydney and and finding the work life balance. You know, making sure that I'm able to go to the you know and go to the beach and yeah. go for walks and 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 just try and make sure that I I take advantage of yeah. all of life, yeah. but but in in moderation. Yeah. Do you think you've Do you think you've got that balance now? Uh, we went for a walk the other morning, for example. It's a bit of balance, but do you think you think you're there, or you still got some way to go? Oh, I think there's a, we ebb and flow, and you know, a, a, depending on the time of depending the time of year, a, a, it, you know, Deloitte's a pretty busy, a pretty busy place. There's lots happening, a, so you know, I, I. But yes, I am definitely um, finding the ability for me to find that a better work life balance, and I, I'm getting better at saying no, yeah. and a, or saying not now. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. As opposed to just saying yes, I used to say yes a lot. Yeah, yeah, makes it makes a big difference. Um, One of the things you know, we are looking at our our investment principles, and we've talked about uh, changes. We've talked about setback, but but I think what's really interesting to me in your journey is you've built businesses yourself. Uh, You've got you've. We talked about uh, you and I and the entrepreneurial. Uh, young enterprise movement when we were 16 or 17, but you've, you've gone on to, to be an entrepreneur and you've, you've built businesses. I'm fascinated and I'm sure the listeners would be about how you've approached that and, um, you know, the successes that you had along the way, maybe the, what you overcame as well. Yeah, it was um, the on- I, the entrepreneurial bug that we got back there. Uh, I actually just I loved starting something new. I loved the excitement of finding the niche in the market and going, "Huh, there's a gap there. Nobody else is 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 focusing on that." I'm going to and and uh, um, I had a couple of uh, of smaller kind of smaller businesses just to kind of understand the process uh, that I, I run and I created a couple of products when I was back in London. But it was really when I, I when I got here to Australia that I started my first proper organization or company. It was a design company called D2. Yeah. Um, and uh, we we saw the, a real kind of area that was not being focused on was around bringing technology, people and place together yeah. to create experiences. Um, so like training centers 
innovation centers, uh, you know, big retail stores like concept stores for retail. And, uh, you know, what we were able to do was just absolutely stay 100% laser focused in that area, keep ourselves in, into, two, into two sectors. So it was um, financial services and consumer retail and, and really build a strong brand and, and have a point of view and a differentiation within those. So, um, it, it was, Starting your business at a, on the kitchen table with a Rolodex. You remember those yeah, Rolodex yeah, yeah. with the cards? And I have to explain what they are to yeah. some of the young listeners, but <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Uh, it was a Rolodex and a, and, and a laptop yeah. and, and just a lot of enthusiasm. But what we also had was confidence that we had found a niche in the market. And if we just stayed the course and got our message out there and stayed consistent with that message that it would get through. And and uh, we 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 did so, and we did and we you know, we seven years of uh, E two we we had to end up growing it to fifty people in three different offices in Singapore, in Melbourne, and Sydney, and uh, we won I think we won over twenty seven awards yeah. design awards uh, through that seven year period, and and that was just such an incredible journey to. Um, to take a whole team, bring them together, form that culture, and 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 just deliver really great work. So, uh, for our clients, and then I, but I saw that there was a a, a need to transition uh, away, and and my business partner uh, at the time, Alex, and I just had different. Just kind of strategies around what that looked like, and I I could see that there was a real future in in integrating technology and and digital assets into physical spaces where he was really wanting to continue to focus very much on on the physical retail side. So we parted ways, and I and I set up Mashup, and I, that was when I got to work alongside Deloitte on a number of different projects and so collaborating uh, with them, collaborating yeah. with them absolutely. So we were we we're very much kind of focus on what is the experience for the customer, what's the experience for the employee, how do we start to map that out, how do we bring technology into it to create those omni-channel experiences. And it was just so it was so enlightening, so exciting to be part and to forge and, and to be at the beginning of the conversations for Australia around what that looked like across a, a number of different industry sectors. Excellent. And then you ended up selling that business to Deloitte's. I did. Which is did. going from the, the small company to the ginormous company, if you like. That, that would be a, a shock for a man who I was, was allowed to wear jeans. Well, didn't, wasn't allowed to wear jeans. He used to wear jeans every time I saw you. So um, you, you could persuaded Deloitte's, I believe, to allow you to, to keep your dress code. Well, it's funny, actually. Uh, on day one, I, I came back when I joined Deloitte. I actually went out and bought a suit because I remember I hadn't <laughs> bought a suit for years. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I'm a partner now. I need to kind of dress dress to six, you know, for success. I need to dress the part. And I walked onto the, the floor and my new boss, Frank, was like, what are you doing? What are you wearing a suit for? I said, <laughs> I said, I said but, but I'm a partner now. I need to wear a suit. And he went, no, I didn't <laughs> hire you to wear a suit. We've got plenty of suits. Yeah, I want yeah. you to wear your jeans and t-shirt. You're yeah. the design partner. So he sent me home and get changed. <laughs> <Day one. laughs> Don't come in. So, and, and, and I, I, I guess that comes back to that authenticity question again uh, around 
And don't try and be something you're not. Uh, just stick to what you're good at instead of who, who people see you as. And, and, and that was very much he wanted to use us as a catalyst as a small organization to change the culture and to infuse design and design thinking and design experiences into the conversations with clients. And to do that, you needed to be able to show up and be that authentic design leader. Yes. So. So everyone in Deloitte is wearing jeans now, or have you- pretty much. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people. That was <laughs> that was that was seven years ago now. So uh, you I, actually, I, I was in the office uh, yesterday, and there was a chap wearing uh, shorts and high and boots, and I'm like, well, we have come very far. <laughs> well done. <laughs> so how is it working for for such a large organisation, having been in these sort of startups, having been the leader of of small businesses, and generally before that in agencies? This would be your first big, big firm it, experience. How's that been for you? It, it's, it's been incredible actually. And, and it was a real, um, you know, we talk about those kind of key chapter moments I referenced before. This was, this has been the, the latest one. And, and it was I really spent some time thinking about what was I personally going to get out of, um, being part of a large organization. And it came down to three key things. First, I wanted to be surrounded by other in ex- exceptional, exceptional leaders and to learn from them. And, you know, when you are uh, the owner of your own business, you're at the top of the, Top of the tree, you know, that there's, there's often can be quite lonely. So to be surrounded by other, uh, exceptional leaders who I can learn from was just incredible. The second thing was I, I wanted to learn more at, at the kind of fringes of what I do. So, uh, I, I stopped learning. I could walk into a meeting with them, with clients and go, pretty much guarantee I knew what they were going to say and I knew what I was going to say and how the meeting was going to play out. But what I wanted to be able to do is bring in uh, a, a tax partner or an access economic specialist or um, a, a human capital t- a partner and have conversations around a much broader a broader base that looked at what the implications of and our people or on the macroeconomic situation around of Australia and the impact this could be having. And I didn't have the skills or the experience to be able to have those conversations with confidence, but to be surrounded by the people who are able to do that and to see the magic of being able to bounce off our ideas and then how that helped clients was just fantastic. And then the third thing for me was around making sure that I was providing a a, a really clear path for succession for my team yes. and uh, making sure that they were taking advantages of of being part of a large organization. And I think that's probably my most proud moment is actually seeing a number of my ex-mashup colleagues now thriving in London, one's in LA, one's in New York, and they have gone on to be these exceptional leaders within those practices as well, which is just brilliant. So interesting, because you saw touch, I guess, yes. Yeah, so it was lonely for you in the in the small company in, in a funny kind of way, because there was no one you wanted to learn, no one to learn from. But ultimately the, the real benefit has been what often happens in a small company is there aren't enough opportunities for the for the younger people to come through. There's nowhere for them to go because the founder's not going to move on. And so, so you sort of solve multiple problems in one go. Absolutely. So I think look, we've we've touched on on some great stuff there, Robbie. Your your setbacks, your your changes, your challenges. And 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 look, the, the thing we talk about a lot is this idea of um, avoiding the crowd or or not following the crowd. Uh, it's an important part of our investment philosophy. I mean, from what we've heard today, you clearly 
haven't followed the crowd. Maybe maybe when you started, it was the f- a fear of the crowd or a, or a conventional way of behaving that you that you struggled with. Um, and 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 I can appreciate that having having been with you at that sort of part of the journey. But when you meet people today, what are the sort of unique things that that you want to leave them with when you when you meet them and or when you want to create that sort of first impression, whether it's a a business opportunity or a, or a social opportunity. What's the what's the Robbie signature, if you like? Um, so, probably a couple. Uh, one is is what you see is what you get. Yeah. Uh, it is is as you become older, you 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 get you build some more confidence around who you are as a person and the and the impact that you can potentially have on the relationship with others, and uh, that impact is only going to be founded based on absolute authenticity of yourself. So I'm really clear around that and, and often will find a subtle, but a way to, to weave in my, my story about it being part of the LGBT community or that I'm a dad or that I'm, a, I'm, I'm really passionate about design and, and give, give my, um, my clients or our colleagues just cues around who is, who is Robbie Robertson. So that's really important to me. And then the, th- the second one is actually just listening. Yeah. Uh, is listening to what the and other of my clients are, th- are, are, are asking or the challenge they're facing. And then stepping, taking a step back and going, hmm, how else should I be reframing the, the challenge that's been set in front of me or the opportunity that's been provided? And how do we add some color to that? Or how do I, add, if I bring in other team members, how could we try and solve a bigger problem? Yeah. And uh, so that's the two kind of key things that I really am quite conscious at when I, I look in. Which is fascinating because the first is almost like checking that they're listening. You're giving them the subtle clues and, and see if they pick them up. And then the other one is, is being an active listener yourself. Absolutely. And Absolutely. As, as a dad, do you think you're, do you think you're a good listener? A, oh, Sophie probably said I wouldn't, uh, I wasn't, but uh, I, I do try to be, uh, I, and I think you know, from, from, from me being a dad's, it was a bit of a miracle. Like they didn't, it, it took a lot of time and energy. Uh, and, and as I say, 15 years of, of research and focus to, to eventually for Sophie to come into this world. So I do not take that role lightly. And in fact, it's, it's the, it's the thing I'm most proud of in the world. And so I spend, I love hanging out with Soph. I love just you know, listening to her chatting away and telling me about the ups and downs of school and who's in and who's not. And and what the, the the what the boring boys have been doing and talking about cars and and it just it, it's really great it's a, and and you know applying those uh, those same, same philosophies I mentioned before is I do just sometimes just sit there and listen and let her chat yeah. and then just probe a little bit around some key questions and yeah. off she goes again uh, but I also really insist that she is her absolute self I love watching when she finds something she's really passionate about like art or uh, she loves she loves cats and dogs so talk about those and yeah. off she goes Excellent. Well, uh, cats and dogs, what better place to, uh, to finish our, uh, our discussion today, Robbie? Look, that's been even uh, you know, as a close friend, I've, I've learned stuff today and I think it's been, uh, it's been great to have you on the podcast. So thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for including me. Thanks for listening to the Investing for Life podcast. If you like what you hear, please remember to subscribe and share with your friends. 
For show notes from today's conversation, head to platinum.com.au.